illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Terrific Tuesday, it's July the 25th, 2023. I'm so glad you're with me. We are cracking open. There it is. And that's, that's a manual sound effect, too. That is not canned. Well, it is canned because I just opened up a can, I guess you could say. And I didn't even plan on that being a pun, but hey, hey, what can I say? Uh, when, you're, when you're hot, you're hot. And, and um, whether you've got a hot beverage, a cold beverage of sorts, and trust me, this is non-alcoholic. It's just a Diet Coke today, but hey, curl up in a chair or don't curl up in your seat if you're driving right now. Just you know, keep your feet on the pedals. Uh, and uh, I'm so glad that you've tuned in to Relevant Radio and the Kale Clark Show on this day. Because we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about today. In fact, um, this is a great day. We're going to talk about somebody who was literally great, greater than certainly the other guy, and that's uh, James the Greater. There's also a James the Lesser, but uh, we'll get into that in a second. I'm talking about the fact that today is the feast day of St. James the Greater. And it's a really, really interesting day. And, and we can learn a lot from him and how we can be much better, much greater in our own lives as we try to follow Jesus Christ. And paradoxically, it is by becoming less that we become greater. We'll talk about that as we as we go on. Let me hand out the phone number, 888-914-9149. Toll free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show. Love to hear from you, 888 9149. Hey, it's also Tuesday. That means we're going to have a little bit of Tuesday trivia. We haven't done this in a while, but producer Patrick Alog is going to help me with this later in the program. We're going to hand out the questions, so stay tuned. Got to keep it locked in so you don't miss them and get your chance to win. Uh, Young Thomas, well, we're going to give him a workout on the phone today. I guarantee you that. So that's coming up later in the program as well. And St. James the Greater, I guess you could call him King James. There's another King James, of course, LeBron James. And everybody's praying for his son, Bronny, uh, who's LeBron Jr., essentially. And he's only 18 years old. Uh, He's going to be playing basketball this year at the University of Southern California. Suffered a cardiac arrest during basketball practice yesterday. Most people just found out about this this morning, but it's been all over the news cycle. And we're going to talk about that, what exactly was going on in this uh, very, very odd medical catastrophe. But we're certainly praying for the James family as uh, they go through a very, very difficult time. Uh, Bronnie apparently lost consciousness at one point. It was incredibly scary. Uh, echoes of the DeMar Hamlin situation from a few months ago. So we'll talk about that later in the program. There's also lots on the docket today. Let's get right into it. So let's talk about, about St. James the Greater yeah, for just a second here. And I want to I read to you the passage from the Gospel today. Uh, and it's from Matthew's Gospel, and, and I have to admit here, I have to admit, I do think Matthew kind of doctored up Mark's Gospel on this. Uh, you say, how is this possible? How can this be real? Well, let's talk about this for a second. All right, so let's look at Matthew chapter 20. This is today's Gospel, starting with verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 20 of Matthew. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him, that's Jesus, with her sons, And kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Okay, so let let me just stop it there for one quick second here, for one hot second here. Let's look and see what, what Mark has to say about this. Now, 
this is another show for another day, but Mark wrote his gospel first, and Matthew used Mark as a source. Plus, he added a lot of other stuff. This goes into gospel compositions. Don't have time to get into this too much right now, but here's what, here's how Mark puts it, okay? And this is a Mark chapter 10, same, same incident, starting with verse 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him, to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Hey, we've got a big old blank check here, like the kind they give to lottery winners, and we want you to sign it, and we'll fill in the rest. We'll take care of everything else. <laughs> we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, thankfully, Jesus does not uh, comply with that request. So that's that's the change here that Matthew makes. He has the mother of the sons of Zebedee ask this question rather than the two apostles themselves. And what, what's really going on here is, okay, you could say, well, as a good mom, she wants her kids to be successful. Uh, she's trying to put in a good word with the boss here and, and, and give my sons a promotion, please. They deserve it. Uh, but that that's probably not what's happening. I think I think Matthew is kind of he he has the mother ask this question in an effort to make James and John not look so bad, not look to be making a, a naked grab for power here, which um, the other apostles were not really happy about. They were pretty indignant about the request of James and John because Jesus had just got done talking to them about being a servant. Um, not trying to put yourself first, and here they are looking for plum assignments in the new kingdom. All right, so let's, let's go back. So that's that's kind of the major difference here uh, between Matthew's account and Luke's here. But let's go back to Matthew for a second. This is today's gospel on this feast day of St. James the Greater. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, it is James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, the apostle, the beloved disciple, who in all likelihood was the author of the gospel of John, the letters in the New Testament that bear the name of John, 1, 2, and 3 John, and also the book of Revelation, the source behind that as well. And uh, shameless plug here uh, on the Faith Explained show, we're actually doing right now uh, Letters from Heaven, a series about seven letters from Jesus that are in the book of Revelation, where Jesus himself is the author of these letters, and he's saying, John, I want you to grab your pen, grab your quill, if you will, and grab your papyrus scroll, and you're going to be my secretary here. I've got something to say. So check that out. It's my favorite part of the book of Revelation. If you've been, uh, haven't had a chance to listen live at 1230 Central on Relevant Radio, do check the podcast. They're all there and we continue on with that one. But uh, enough about John. Let's talk about James. Okay, so let's go back to Matthew here. It says, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She, you know, what do you want? No, no, it wasn't like that, probably. But she said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, and these are the ten other apostles, when the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. That's interesting because when, when, this is how we know that Matthew kind of switched it up a little bit because when, when Jesus is replying allegedly to the mother, um, 
Matthew wasn't super, super careful. He's probably copying this from Mark. And, and, he, and Jesus says, you, and he's using the plural of the word you, you in, in the original Greek, you, plural, you guys, in other words, do not know what you, plural, are asking. You guys don't know what you guys are asking for. So, and then he says, um, in response to their question, he's, it, it, they said to him, you know, you, are you able to drink the cup? Jesus says, they, they said to him, who's the they? Well, it's James and John not the mother they said to him we are able we are able to drink the cup so clearly jesus is talking to james and john here um matthew's trying to sort of soften the blow and make them look a little bit better and and people might based on this say you know i can't trust the gospels the gospels are untrustworthy uh they're not historically reliable if matthew kind of adds the mother in here and puts the words in her mouth how can i trust this as being legit well, it, it is totally trustworthy, and I'm going to tell you why in just a second. But, um, this, and then Jesus uses this as a very, very important teach, teachable lesson. This is a he's a, obviously Jesus is the master teacher, and this is a teachable moment. The ten hears about this, hear about this. They're angry with the two brothers, and then in verse 25, Jesus calls to the, them to him and said, uh, "Guys, gather around here. Essentially, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them." And their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus completely turns their idea of power on its head so a couple interesting details here um again people might look at this detail of the mother being added in by matthew and say i can't trust this uh this is totally authentic and by the way the the way that it's it's well within the bounds of how uh the ancients wrote biographies the the gospels are greco-roman biographies and they when you compare the gospels with one another they do differ in some uh, side details from time to time, but these are unimportant details. The gist of, of the accounts, they, they c- are completely in agreement on, especially when it comes to the passion. We don't even need the Gospels to show that these things actually happen to Jesus in real life. That's another interesting argument, but we don't have time for that one today. But here, here's what ha- here's another reason you can trust this, by the way. Jesus asks the disciples, can you drink the cup? Now, what, 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 are they, what, what kind of cup is he talking about here? He's talking about the cup of suffering. And it's a metaphor, the cup of suffering, the, the fate of, of a person. And uh, the cup, of course, refers to not just suffering, but also death. And how do we know that this is authentic? Because no Christian would ever make this up. If you're making up the gospel, okay, if you're making up a story about Jesus and asking people to believe it, nobody would ever make this up. We know that this is authentic because guess what? Jesus himself was not able to drink, was reluctant, shall we say, to drink the cup. He was able to drink the cup, obviously. I misspoke there. He didn't want to drink the cup because later on in the Passion, when we get to that, what does Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying, Father, if there's any other way out of this, let's, let's take that way. Let's take that road. Uh, if, there's, uh, if there's any other way than me drinking this chalice of suffering, let's do it. And God the Father essentially says to him, no, this is the only way. And of course he says, okay, 
as an obedient son, all right, I'll do it. But humanly speaking, he doesn't want to go to the cross, the horrors of the cross. Uh, but he does do it, of course. And so Jesus himself was, this was not a cup that he was necessarily uh, excited about from a human perspective, but he did do it. Clearly he did do it. Uh, in his agonized prayer in Gethsemane, kind of tells the story there. And the disciples were not able to, at that point, drink the cup of suffering because they all ran away. They all ran away except for John, except for the Apostle John. And so John, I guess, was able to, for sure. He was at the foot of the cross. Ironically, one of the, the only one of the 12 that wasn't martyred for his faith. Interesting. So he was the one guy who was there at the foot of the cross, who stuck with it. He was there with Mary. But he didn't. He was not asked for for martyrdom. Interesting. But the but but James was martyred. James, in fact, was martyred in forty four A.D. So eventually, he was able to drink the cup after the the power granted uh, by the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, the, the the hope of the resurrection. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. But at any rate, Jesus does not grant their request. Um, he says, look, you will indeed drink my cup. You're going to drink the cup. And John, uh, even though he wasn't martyred, he certainly suffered in other ways. Um, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, uh, suffered uh, in many, it is said, one, one tradition about John was that he was dunked in boiling oil. They tried to kill him that way. It didn't work. And he really did have thick skin <laughs> in more ways than one, I guess. And you, you have to have thick skin to be a follower of Jesus, of course, both then and now. But Jesus says, look, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. This is another verse that, again, this is not made up, because no Christian is going to make up something where Jesus doesn't seem to have the power to grant their request. We know that Jesus is God. He's God the Son. Why can't he do it? Hey, listen, I, I can't can't fulfill your request. You're going to have to um, move it up the chain. Well, it, it's, Jesus is still God. The Trinity is still real, but we, we can't forget that the persons, the, the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, different persons, one God, but different, different, I guess you could say jobs to do or roles or functions. And it was very common uh, a few years ago, and a lot of priests were disciplined for doing this. I remember a particular case in Australia where, where some Priests were trying to be hip and fashionable and make young people want to come to church, that kind of thing. So they, they started to say stuff like, uh, in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier. That's how they would open the Mass or making the sign of the cross. Oh, wow, that's different. Um, why are they doing this? Well, they, they, I got to know. Who knows? Maybe they're trying to be more relevant, quote-unquote. Uh, only relevant radio can truly be relevant, right? So, But, uh, but no, what, what were they trying to do? Well, they were confusing who God is with things that God does. Okay? The creator, the redeemer. Now, of course, in any in anything that God does, all three persons are involved. There's no question about it. In any act of the Trinity, all three persons in the Trinity are involved. But traditionally speaking, the Father is associated with creation through the Son, of course, and the power of the Spirit. Got it. Uh, the, the redemption... Uh, wrought by Jesus Christ through his passion, death, and resurrection. Got it. He's the Redeemer. And then the Holy Spirit is the Sanctifier, the great Sanctifier, who, who makes us holy, right? That's one of his main roles as the Holy Spirit. 
But that's so they got censured for this. These priests got punished for this because that's not God's name. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that is God's name: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the other things are things that God does. So let's not confuse that. God was God before He ever created anything, before He ever redeemed anyone or sanctified any person. So there you go. But anyway, so again. This is this against smacks of authenticity here, the fact that Jesus answers in that way. And of course, the the other ten, they're they're angry. They, when they when they find out about this, they're 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 ticked off. And this gives Jesus another teaching opportunity. He says, Look, let me tell you what true leadership really is. He, he, and, he and he reminds them of of how people looked at leadership in his time. He called to them and said, hey, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. That's what leadership was in the ancient world. It was, it was nothing more than tyranny. And there's certainly tyrannical regimes all over the world even to this day. But uh, the great Jewish historian Josephus, when he's talking about stuff that was going on in his time, and he's roughly contemporaneous with Jesus, writing about the same time as the life of Jesus, slightly afterwards. But when he's, when he's writing about the history of, of the Jewish people and what they had to go through, Greek rulers, uh, also Jewish rebels who tried to grab power themselves, he, he calls them all tyrants. And the, the great Roman rulers like Augustus, Caesar Augustus, when, when they were eulogized, they, they would flatter them by saying, like Virgil did this for Augustus, saying, hey, you're, you're awesome because you're a tyrant, because you lorded it over people. That, that made you... A righteous ruler? No. Not, this is nothing but coercion, okay? This is coercion. So the more coercion you're able to, to wield over people, then the greater you were in the ancient world. But it's not so among you, Jesus says. It is not so among you. But whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. And again, we hear Jesus talking about this, this great reversal. The first will be last, the last will be first. And he's already taught about this to the disciples, so they should kind of know this already. But like us, you know, we're, not, we're no better than them. Right? We, we can't get these things through our thick skulls either. This is completely against the way that the world thinks now, the way the world thought then. And in Jesus' time in the Greco-Roman world, if, if you were a servant... And many people were servants. Many people were indentured slaves back then. Here's what um, Plato said, the great Plato, right? He said, how can you be happy when you have to serve someone? How can you be happy? It's impossible to be happy. How can you? No, you can only be miserable. Uh, that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, look, I'm going to flip things upside down here. I'm going to turn the world on its head here. And he, he, he talks about himself. And he is always the, the the great example to us, right? This is what he says. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, people often... Uh, get confused when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Some people think, well, that's Jesus talking about his human nature. And when he calls himself Son of God, he's talking about his divinity. 
not the case. If anything, it's it's completely the, the other way around because all Israelites were called sons of God. Um, at least Israelite men, the women were called daughters of God. In the Old Testament, it's all over the place. Son of man has nothing to do with Jesus' human nature. If anything, it refers to his divinity because the son of man refers to a specific individual in the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, chapter 7, this great vision in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, in his vision at night, Daniel says, I, I saw one who looked like a son of man. I, is he divine? Is he human? Is he uh, the God-man? I don't know. And he approaches the Ancient of Days. Who's that? It's God the Father. And receives royal power. All peoples, all nations, all languages, everybody who's ever lived should serve him. But it's interesting because that Jesus applies this to himself. When he's on trial for his life before Caiaphas, the high priest, when they ask him point blank, are you the Messiah? And he's he probably was tempted to say, listen, all the stuff I've been doing and saying, you should know this by now. But he says, you know, I am. <laughs> and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And then that's when the high priest freaks out. And he just tears his robes, blasphemy, because he gets it. He knows exactly who Jesus is claiming to be, the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. But here's where Jesus flips it on his head. Because, yes, I am the Son of Man, but I'm not ruling in the way that you think. Because, I, yes, you know, everyone serves me, but I can't, came first to serve. I, I, I invert it. It's like an inverted triangle. Uh, and one of the great titles of the Pope is the Servant of the Servants of God. Servus Servorum Dei. All the Popes love this title from JP2 onward. They love this because... It's an inverted pyramid, it, sort of being uh, going up the ecclesial ranks, if you will. It's not ascending to some higher level of whatever in an ivory tower. It's descending into greatness. The great, you have more people to serve. You, you, you have more people over you, not more people under you. It's, it's being at the bottom of a pyramid turned upside down. Just more people to serve. And so that's, that's how we should be looking at this. And that's what Jesus does. He, he says, I've come to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Now, where does he get this image from? He gets it from another one of the prophets, Isaiah. Because in Isaiah chapter 53, of course, it talks about the suffering servant. The suffering servant. My servant shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, verses 11 and 12. So what he essentially does here, Jesus, is he he's kind of putting them in a blender. Daniel chapter 7 and Isaiah 53. Daniel 7 is about royal power. Isaiah 53 is about suffering service and the vindication of the one who suffers by God. And so Jesus is basically saying, look, I first have to suffer for the people on the cross and through my passion before I can be raised up to glory. And so this is it. This is ransom. I'm going to provide that ransom. And that, that means there's a price to be paid for sin. And I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay it in my own person. And that's how he serves everybody. That's how he serves the many, by making it possible for our sins to be repaid. So it's really your choice. And I like how uh, in the new translation of the Mass, they, you know, they change for all, uh, in the words of consecration, to for many. It'll be sh this blood will be shed for many. Because not everybody takes advantage of it. But it is open to all. But not everybody takes advantage of it. And that's what Jesus says. I have come so that the many might be saved. But it's up to you. You either have to pay for your own sins 
or or allow Jesus to pay them for you. I know which deal I'd rather take. And so that's that's partially what's in the background here on this great feast day. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We'll be right back. 888-914-9149. Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. Welcome back to the program. Stay tuned. We're going to be throwing out our Tuesday trivia questions in just a few moments. So hang tight if you want a chance to win. And you'll be surprised at what you might actually win. I'll tell you what that is or isn't later. But uh, let's go to the phones right now on this uh, Feast of St. James the Greater. Uh, Who do we have here? We have Laura in Minneapolis. Hi, Laura. Hi, Kill. I had a question. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little further on your understanding of the passage that you were just uh, covering mm-hmm. when it says that Jesus, you know, has come as ransom for many. Specifically, yeah. who is he giving a ransom to? And I've, I've heard it said that, you know, in, in some denominations, we're saying, you know, the ransom is to God mm-hmm. to pay for our, you know, the, the sins of original sin. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that in some denominations that there could be a payment to Satan. So I wonder if you could maybe comment on your understanding there. It's definitely ransom paid to God. Yeah, it's it's not to the devil, of course. Now, the devil certainly tempts people to sin, and we do a pretty good job of it on our own as well. But um, yeah, it's the price that needs to be paid to God, if you will, this, this ransom. And this theme of ransom is actually pretty prevalent uh, in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um. For example, in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, he says the wages of sin is death. And so somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to pay that price. And um, Jesus does pay it on our behalf. And it's interesting, too, when when you think about it, um, there's a suffering servant passage, which I talked about before the break in Isaiah chapter 53. That's, That's really important to understand. But also in, for example, the books of the Maccabees, um, and, and of course, a lot of non-Catholic Christian groups do not accept the books of the Maccabees as scripture. Uh, They would view them as part of the apocryphal books. Uh, They don't see them as the Word of God, along with some other books, but they are in the Catholic Old Testament. And when you read 2 Maccabees chapter 7, that very moving, it's an incredibly powerful passage. And We spent some episodes on the Faith Explained program talking about the books of the Maccabees. We have the, the Maccabean martyrs. And the seven sons uh, of, a, of a woman who herself is martyred as well under the, the persecutions of the wicked ruler. Um, just the grisly ways in which they're martyred. Somehow in Jewish tradition, this was understood that their deaths would serve as expiation for the sins of the nation. Because, and this is again a, th- a theme that's throughout biblical history, that, that the people of God sometimes go off the rails. And they sometimes, we talked about Solomon yesterday, how he would, his heart was drawn after paganism because of the women that he was involved with, his wives, his concubines. That was part of the reason 
He drew his heart away from God. And from time to time, the nation as a whole would go astray, and, and God allowed certain punishments to come their way. Uh, the Babylonian invasion, the destruction of the temple that Solomon built in 586 B.C., exile and then return, exile and then return. And so Jesus kind of wants to save us from the ultimate exile, you know, being uh, shut out of heaven for all eternity. And so this is what he does for us. And and so just as, you know, heroes of the past and their martyrdoms would serve as expiation for the sins of the people, Jesus, as God the Son, is able to give that definitive expiation and the payment paid in full as as it were uh, on the cross so hopefully that helps to clear that up a little bit laura but that that excellent question thanks for calling in yeah that's wonderful thank you so much thank you oh you're most welcome god bless you laura in minneapolis call back anytime great to have you on the show all right so one thing i I did want to say also because it is the feast of saint james the greater and we, we talked about that before the break if you missed it check the podcast it'll be up a few minutes after the show on the Relevant Radio app, wherever you get your podcasts, and on RelevantRadio.com. But we do need to talk about, people get very, very confused about which James are we really dealing with. Now, again, this is the son of Zebedee. I guess you could say the Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company. Uh, Jesus called them, the brothers James and John, around the same time they called Peter to follow him. But the name James, and I, I did a series, people often confuse him with the other James who wrote, well, there's many other James, actually, as you'll see, but the James who wrote the letter in the New Testament, that's not the same James. Uh, that one is known as the quote-unquote brother of the Lord, he, not a son of Mary, don't, don't get that wrong. Um, I did a whole series on him, and I called it Bonding with James. You know, if you can see where I'm going there with the puns, uh, I'm a big James Bond fan, and uh, that was pretty lame, but I did it anyways. Um, Bonding with James, it was a series that I did on, on the letter of James in the New Testament on, and on that particular James who became the, the Bishop of Jerusalem. But the James that I'm talking about today, whose feast date is James the Greater. And why is he the Greater? I'll tell you in just a second. His name actually wasn't James. To make it even more confusing for you, there's so many people named James in the New Testament. In Hebrew, the name is actually Yaakov, Yaakov. Remember the comedian Yakov Smirnoff from long ago? Boy, that's a dated reference, but uh, he was um, ubiquitous. I, I need, that's, a, that's a very dated pop culture reference, but you know who I'm talking about, probably. Uh, Yakov, of course, is... Oh, Patrick Alog's too young, he doesn't know. But uh, Yakov, of course, is the name Jacob in Hebrew. Yakov is Jacob. So the fact of the matter is that everybody in the New Testament who's named James... Their actual name is Jacob. Okay, so how did it become James? Well, that's a really, really good question. How did it become James in the English language? Well, okay, the New Testament was written in what language? Patrick Alog, do you know? This is a quiz. How, how, how closely do you listen to me when I'm talking on the show? Say that again? Oh, uh, yeah, he's trying to buy time as he's Googling it, folks. <laughs> I, said, I said, what... What language was the New Testament written in? I was looking more about Yak- I was I was looking later. more about this Yakov Smirnov. Yeah, yeah, you're too busy uh, <laughs> looking up Yakov Smirnov. All right, well, Greek, can, Greek, exactly. Okay, okay. all right. So Doctor Google came through for him. <laughs> um, so so, in when the New Testament was written in Greek, of course, in Hebrew it's Yakov. In Greek, which is Jacob. In Greek, it's Jacobus or Jacobus is what it would be spelled like. Now, as you know, in the Catholic Church, the official quote-unquote language of the Church and its ecclesiastical documents, of course, is Latin. 
So when Jacobus in Greek was translated into Latin, in the Latin translation of the New Testament, it became Iacomus, Iacomus. Then the, this just kind of keeps going like a game of television. When the Latin was translated into Spanish, it became Jaime, Jaime. So if you know people named Jaime, that's what it means. It's actually James. So when they got around to making English translations of the Bible, sometimes they didn't go back to the original languages, all right? They didn't go back to Greek. Sometimes they would make English translations out of the Latin language or other European translations that were already there. So speaking of King James, King James, James the Greater, King James, different guy, but the King James translation of the Bible, which no doubt you've heard of the famous King James Version in 1611, when that came out, it translated essentially Jaime into James. Okay, so that's where it came from. So in in all English Bible translations from that point, it's been James. So maybe more information than you ever wanted to know about this, but there you go. There you go. But, the, but it's important to know this because the fact that it is actually Jacob is very meaningful. That All these guys named James, their name is actually Jacob because go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. There's this genealogy, right? Like all the ancestors of Jesus, from uh, humanly speaking. And it's a little like reading the phone book, if you remember those. You might have forgotten about Yakov Smirnov. You might have forgotten about using a phone book. Uh, but remember the lists of names and you have to look up people's names and addresses and things like that. Well, it's a little bit like reading the phone book, <laughs> but it actually has a lot of meaning. And, and in the in the Gospel of Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus, there's only two guys named Jacob mentioned. The patriarch, who, of course, is Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Right? He's the grandson of Father Abraham. And in the readings lately at Mass, there have been a lot of readings from um, talking about Jacob. Jacob, of course, wrestles with the angel, and he becomes, he's renamed, he's named Israel, and he becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, because his 12 sons are the heads of the 12 tribes. So that's, that's one of the Jacobs that's in, in the genealogy of Jesus. The other guy is Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. That's Matthew 1.16. So that's the other Jacob or James. Again, it's the same name. Jacob is James. So this is really, really important where, where, where it comes from. And uh, so anyway, so but still the gospel are full of people named James. James, the son of Zebedee, that's his feast day today. He's James the Greater. There's also a guy named James, the son of Alphaeus, who is known as James the Less. And why is he the Less? I'll tell you. Uh, there's also James, the father of Judas and Thaddeus. Judas is more commonly known as Jude. Uh, you might have heard of Jude, the apostle. Why does he want to be called Jude? Well, nobody wants to be called Judas anymore, let's face it. Uh, but the name is actually Judas. Judas was a really popular name for boys in Roman Palestine. And uh, Judas, of course, comes from Judas Maccabeus, right? Uh, a very, very heroic figure to the Jews. Talk about the Maccabees. Uh, the hammer of the heretics, right? Uh, that's what they called him. There's also a very popular Israeli beer called Maccabee. So, you know, a lot of people maybe get hammered in, in the wrong way with that. No, it's sinful. That's uh, drunkenness. It's mortal sin. Don't do it. But Maccabee is a good beer I've had. It's nice. But, okay, so that the name Judas was good. Now it's not so good, obviously. Um, not good at all. So Jude is like, yeah, just call me Jude. Just call me Jude. Trust me on this one. So that's another guy. And then there's James, uh, the brother of the Lord, quote-unquote. It's not... 
a son of Mary, but he becomes the, the bishop of Jerusalem. Remember the James ossuary? I talked about that in the James series. The, the bone box of James uh, references Jesus. It's really, really an important archaeological find. So how, how can we tell one guy from the next? Uh, these are the James I know. How do we know which one is which? Well, they didn't have last names back then. They didn't have last names back then. Okay, Jesus Christ, Christ means Messiah. It's not his last name, people. I think most people know that, but uh, so how do you know who's who if everybody has the same name? Jesus was also a popular name. It means Joshua. Well, there's a few ways to figure out who's who. The person's hometown, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus from Nazareth. Okay, that's one way to figure it out. Um, nicknames, nicknames. Peter, right? Uh, that's a nickname. His It's called Kephas or Peter. It's like Father Rocky, right? It's Rocky. It's basically Rocky or Rock. Uh, like Sylvester Stallone, right? So it's a, a nickname is one way to, to, if everybody's got a common name, all right, well, I'm going to call this guy so-and-so. Patronymics, who your dad is. That's another way to, to sort it all out. Just like James, the son of Alpheus, is different from James, the son of Zebedee. And then we have descriptions. So, for example, James the Greater or James the Less. I don't know if you remember this, but growing up in school, uh, if somebody was, you know, kind of a, uh, I'll say a, a, a big boned person, you might, they might have been called Slim or something like that. So sometimes people were given nicknames like James the Less. It might have been because he was short. It might have been because he was short, or it might have been because he was younger. James the Less. He's less in years. James the Greater. He's older. Uh, maybe he's maybe he's a big dude. I, I don't know. So th th those are four different ways that you could figure out who's who amongst all the James. It's 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 who your dad is, son of so and so. Uh, who's your daddy? You know, I know the people are down on the patriarchy, of course, but 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 who's your daddy? Is it a very important question in the first century? Nicknames, um, what you know, a description of you somehow, or your hometown. That that's th those are the four basic ways to to figure it out. So that's 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 it. And today's the feast day of James the Greater. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Well, speaking of James, we did talk about King James, the King James Bible, just a, a few minutes ago. But the other King James that you all know is, of course, LeBron James, the NBA's all-time leading scorer. He's not the GOAT. Uh, this is my personal opinion. I still think it's Jordan. Uh, you, you know, if, you're, if you have any doubts about that, watch the Last Dance documentary series on Netflix. You'll, I think you'll probably come away convinced. But, but everybody is praying for LeBron James, who is obviously one of the all-time greats, no doubt. And uh, his son, Bronny, uh, also a player. And uh, two of LeBron's sons, of course, are you know, big-time high school players. Le Bronny has uh, declared uh, for the University of Southern California. I know Patrick Alog from uh, being a SoCal guy is really happy about that. He's a big Trojan fan. So he's going to play for the Trojans, God willing, because uh, he suffered a cardiac arrest during a basketball practice. He's only 18 years old. And to, to fill you in on what exactly was going on here and how this might have happened, and people do have their theories and they're abounding all over the internet, uh, here is from NBA Today, Malika Andrews from ESPN. Check this out. Welcome to NBA Today. We have a developing story today in the basketball world. Bronny James, the eldest son of Lakers star LeBron James, suffered a cardiac arrest Monday and is in stable condition. And the James family spokesperson released the following statement saying, quote, yesterday while practicing, 
Bronnie James suffered a cardiac arrest, and medical staff was able to treat Bronnie and take him to the hospital. He is now in stable condition and no longer in the ICU. We ask for respect and privacy for the James family, and we will update media when there is information available. LeBron and Savannah wish to publicly send their deepest thanks and appreciation to the USC medical staff and athletic staff for their incredible work and dedication to the safety of their athletes. So for more on this story, we are joined now on NBA Today by ABC News Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. Jennifer Ashton. So Dr. Ashton, I want to start here. Can you just please explain to all of us what exactly happens during a cardiac arrest? So first, it's really important for people to understand this is a completely different situation than a heart attack, which then leads to someone's heart stopping. Sudden cardiac arrest, particularly in an elite athlete, uh, can occur for a variety of reasons. We have to remember there's electrical parts of the heart and then there's structural mechanical parts. Either can cause the heart to suddenly stop uh, beating. The most common cause is something that's actually structural and uh, congenital known as HCM or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But we can see it with irregular heartbeats and arrhythmia. Obviously we saw with Damar Hamlin, commodio cordis as a result to a blow to the chest. But when the heart stops beating, the clock starts ticking. And that's because every minute that the rest of the body, the brain, the heart, the rest of the vital organs are deprived of oxygenated blood, the chances of survival go down. So again, uh, to echo the James family spokesperson, uh, really the credit is due to the emergency responders and the certified athletic trainers and the coaching staff on scene who was able to uh, apparently perform early bystander CPR, possibly AED use. We know that that is critically important as it is to activate the 911 system and get someone to a hospital. Okay, so there you have it, uh, Malika Andrews from ESPN's NBA Today in conversation with Dr. Jennifer Ashton about what may have gone wrong. Why did an 18-year-old in peak physical condition, Bronnie James, go into cardiac arrest? And as Dr. Ashton mentioned, this happens about 150 times a year with, with young people in the United States. Think about how many millions of them there are. It might seem like a small number. And of course, there's been a lot of speculation on the Twitterverse about whether or not this was caused by vaccines. Uh, apparently, Bronny James was vaccinated, uh, had boosters. Uh, LeBron was a big proponent of it during the, uh, the COVID crisis. And I don't know, we'll have to, we'll have to see what, what the medical reports are. Uh, whether or not there's a link. And it's interesting because I, I never talked about this Dur during all of COVID. I, maybe I should get a hero sandwich for this. I don't know. I, I never talked about the whole controversy with the vaccines. I didn't even talk about COVID other than in passing for the entire year. And yeah, it would have been easy to maybe chase cheap ratings and talk about it all the time. But I wanted to give you guys a break from it because I, I was tired of hearing about it and I'm sure you were as well. But... Uh, We'll have to see what it says. Like science is all about observing and, and being open to the evidence and where where it leads. And and certainly there does seem to be, at least on the surface of things, a preponderance of especially young men uh, in their primes who seem to be having these these cardiac events and and dropping dead in some cases, um, whether it's blood clots or cardiac events. Is it related? Is it not? Sometimes we can be fooled by the data and we want to see things a certain way. But, 
But at the end of the day, not, none of that really matters. What really matters, well, it matters, but, but I, I think what Dr. Ashton said in that little clip is crucial for us, that we should be learning CPR. Uh, this past uh, spring, I, I, my, my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, was taking a little course in, in CPR, even at her young age. I think it's really important for people to know this. I need to, to definitely bone up on this and get, get, get my skills sharpened up because you could save a life. Early bystander CPR. Uh, knowing how to work in AED, a defibrillator, if, if, if possible. And these things are all over the place now in public places, malls, churches. Events happen. Actually, last Sunday, somebody had an event at Mass. The, the paramedics were, came in during Mass. Um, it, was, it was a scary event. And just, just being aware of, of what you can do it can, can save a life. And I think about DeMar Hamlin. We talked about him a lot in his situation over the past few months. It's... it's it's kind of scary to me that the last time I saw Bronny James was at the ESPY Awards just a, just a few days ago, where his dad, LeBron, was receiving an award. They also honored during that night the Buffalo Bills training staff who saved DeMar Hamlin's life on the field. He would have died if it was not for them and, and their quick thinking and quick reactions. And it seems like something similar was in play with Bronny James and that he lost consciousness. There's only a short period of time where you, you've got to get the heart going again or blood will not get to the brain, oxygenated blood, and there could be devastating results. So it's a sobering thing. Let's keep this family in our prayers and, and think about how we might be better prepared in the event that something like this happens to someone that we love or someone around us. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show, and we'll be right back after this break. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. As promised, I'm going to deliver. The song is called Pizza Guy, by the way, so I am going to deliver like the pizza guy. Um, great tune, and we've got a great trivia contest for you on this Tuesday, Tuesday trivia for you. Without further ado, uh, you're going to want to call in right now. Let me give it, you, before you even know what the questions are, 888-914-9149, 888 So here we go. Got some music for me, Patrick? All right, there we go. Okay, so question number one. I'm going to give out three questions, and you can answer whichever one you want. Question number one. What is the name of the first of the 12 disciples to be murdered. What is the name of the first of Jesus' 12 disciples to be murdered? That's question number one. Question number two, King David, the shepherd. How old was he when he became king? How old was he when he became king of Israel? King David, how old was he? That's question number two. And question number three. This is, these are tough questions today. Who owned dishes that were pure gold? Who owned dishes that were pure gold in the Bible? All right, call in 888-914-9149. I guarantee you, if you call right now, the first call gets in. 888-914-9149. Question number one. What was the name of the first of the 12 disciples to be murdered? Question number two, David, how old was he when he became king of Israel? 
And question number three, who owned dishes that were made of pure gold? You cannot get these at Ikea. Now, Kale, before we, before we go to a caller, do you have to be off by a certain number for number two about King David or exact? You have to be exact. All right, oh. let, let's go. Let's go. Let's right. go. To the phones. Let's go to Brenda in New Mexico. Brenda, welcome to the show. Which question would you like to answer? Thanks. How are you? I'm good. Good. Which 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 uh, question do you do you want? Um, the first one. The first one. What is the name of the first of the twelve disciples of Jesus to be murdered? Um, would that be James, who it, his feast day is today? It is, it is. It was a kind of a, you know, the whole show should have been a clue, but you got it. You got it, Brenda. Ding, 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 Yay, ding. Yay, that's awesome. Yeah, and you can read about this, by the way. Yeah, it's a very hazardous job profession, being an apostle. Uh, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talks about this. And this is a Herod. Oh, gosh, Herod. There's so many evil Herods out there. Herod Agrippa I, in this case, he killed James, the brother of John, of Zebedee, right, with the sword. And then he had Peter arrested because he saw it made people happy, and well, it's arrest Peter too. So that's where you can read about that. So, Brenda, congratulations. You are a winner, and I'll tell you what you've won, if anything, in just a moment. So, uh, But thanks for calling, and thanks for playing. All right, let's go to Denise in Plymouth, Wisconsin. Denise, I think you want to answer question number two. David, how old was he when he became the king of Israel? Sixteen. That is incorrect. That is incorrect. But but, but I, I I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you called though because that that shows that she wasn't cheating, folks. He wasn't trying to Google the answers, right? So in the old days, so full marks for that. So well done, well done. Honesty there. So appreciate that, Denise. All right, Patrick Alog, you want to take a stab at this one? How, how old was David? Now, you, you promised me that you wouldn't cheat no, like you did correct. earlier in the show when you Googled all the answers to the questions I was asking you. Uh, it took you a long time, by the way, but, but you have to play this straight up, okay? Yes. How, how old was David when he became king of Israel? We have 90 seconds left in the show, by the way, and I'm going to say 19 years old. No, no. You know what the real answer is? He was 30 years old. You can read wow. about this in Second Samuel chapter five, verse four. Another another parallel with Jesus. I know. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, Jesus also was thirty years old when he uh, began his public ministry. He's the real king, right? All right. Now we got one more question here. Who owned dishes that were made of pure gold? Got to wash these by hand. What, what do you think, Patrick Alog? It's not Midas, is it? No, it's That's not. The that, only that, that, <laughs> like, is there a clue? Like, that'd be kind of cool. I make my dishes. Is there a clue? Party, just like, touch who owned? A, like, oh, was I it a king? It, was it a? Yeah, yeah, it might have been. Think it. Think king, about King James. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but, but it, it, more along the lines of David. It was actually King Solomon. Oh, so we talked about Solomon yesterday. I, it was a really interesting program. Thirty seconds. I thought I. I thought it was. Like someone from the Old Testament or something, but and, and the, the I thought it was a trick to, question. Well, well, it wasn't, but as far as the answer to what everybody wins, the answer is nothing but eternal glory because as a charity, we can't actually give out prizes. I wish we could, but you have the bragging rights. Thanks for listening to The Kale Clark Show. Patrick Alog produced sitting in for Jim Shaper today. Young Thomas took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.